You are listening to the Canadian Immigration Podcast, Season 3, Episode 4. With Citizenship and Immigration Canada making it increasingly difficult to speak to an officer, there are a few places to turn for information that can be relied upon. The Canadian Immigration Podcast was created to fill this void by offering the latest information on Canadian law, policy, and practice. Please welcome ex-immigration officer and Canadian immigration lawyer, Mark Holthy. As he answers a wide variety of immigration questions and shares practical tips and guidance to help you along your way. Well, hello there, everyone. Welcome back to the Canadian Immigration Podcast. I am your host, Mark Holthy, coming to you from the beautiful, sunny province of Alberta. It has been over three months. Yes, it has. I've taken a little bit of a hiatus from the podcast, playing around with a few other little things that I'm exploring in social media world. And uh, now I just couldn't resist. I had to get back on to talk about the changes that have come to the Alberta Immigrant Nominee Program. Just yesterday, and I'm recording this June 15th, the long-awaited changes to the Alberta Immigrant Nominee Program actually came into play. And this episode's going to be right to... I'm just going to focus right in on exactly the topic and not get into too much of the lead in and apologizing for why I haven't done a podcast. I'm going to let all of that go and uh, just jump right in because there's a lot to talk about. And those of you who do any applications in Alberta um, and have used it traditionally to save some of your workers, I guess, per se, when they didn't have options through Express Entry, these changes are going to have a significant impact on well, people who are working in Alberta for Alberta-based employers who are looking to transition into permanent residence and may not necessarily have a very good option through express entry. And one of the biggest changes right off the bat is the fact that um, low-skill CND occupations, it's become fairly expansive. So it's opened up a little bit more. And uh, unlike most provinces that are really high-skill driven, Um, Alberta has opened it up to low skill, but with some pretty significant restrictions. So the Alberta Opportunity Stream is what they've entitled it. And this is the second kick at the can. So back in December 2017, it was originally announced. And I'll be honest, there wasn't a lot of stakeholder engagement. And so when it was released, we saw very quickly that uh, post-grad work permits holders and anyone on an open work permit in Alberta were pretty much getting hooped. And so they were not going to have an ability to transition through the Alberta Immigrant Nominee Program uh, from foreign worker status to permanent resident status. So that's one of the biggest things. They've now come back. And part of the reason it's so freaking complicated and it's got so many different levels to it is because of the post-grad work permit holders. Those individuals, they've got so many exceptions and restrictions and narrowing of the eligibility so that they're, they're still trying to accomplish the main design, which was there were certain occupations, certain industries that were just dominating most of the nominations, driving up the processing times, and they just wanted to cure it. They just wanted to get rid of that. They wanted to make sure that they were meeting the specific needs of the, of the province of Alberta. And you know what? I'll give them props. And so um, AINP, any uh, officers who happen to be listening to this, um, I think you guys have done a pretty good job 
at trying to find a happy medium between keeping it broad enough to make sure employers can keep the workers they truly want and also narrow enough that you are getting the people that you really want from a broad breadth of, of industries across um, across this fine province of Alberta. So um, lots to talk about. They've taken and harmonized all of those other categories, the employer-driven category, the strategic occupations category, all of these different occupa- uh, these different streams have been harmonized, if you will, into this one Alberta opportunity stream. And it, it makes sense for them to do that, just to make things more simple, more straightforward. But I'll tell you, it takes a little bit of effort to figure out exactly what the requirements are and whether or not your particular worker will, uh, if you're in Alberta at least, qualify. So let's take a, a look at a couple um, couple things. One thing we do know um, as well is that the province will be releasing an express entry. Well, they've actually technically launched it, but they haven't indicated exactly what the criteria is for this express entry stream, other than some vague reference that uh, the person um, is going to be nominated or pulled after they've submitted their express entry profile. And uh, if they are, I'm presuming to be at a certain level, a comprehensive ranking system score, or they could even, I guess, isolate particular occupations depending depending upon the uh, the main occupation that a person is listed within Express Entry, um, that primary that primary knock, if they they could pull it based on that, so occupations. Um, I'd like to think it's somewhat similar to the OINP, but we just don't know. So the OINP's Human Capital Stream, uh, they draw candidates based on their Comprehensive Ranking System score, and they usually have a range that they draw under. And uh, anyone who's within the pool at that time in that range will get an invitation and or at least an expression of interest from the province for the person to then go back and start the process of applying under the program. So we don't know, but I suspect it's probably something like that. Um, so that we'll just have to wait till the next uh, our, our ne- another podcast that I do on this topic. But for today, what I want to address is the things that we do know. And one of the things that we do know is that um, certain programs and, like I said, sectors and occupations had traditionally dominated this whole process. So the Alberta Opportunity Stream was designed to try to get those people that are really the best fit for our labor needs in the province. And you guys will remember, if you looked at the old lists, occupations like food service supervisors, retail sales, uh, administrative assistants, all these kinds of things, retail uh, salespersons, um, wholesale trade, food and, um, restaurant and food service managers, cleaning supervisors, those occupations totally dominated the AINP. But now, if you go to the AINP's, uh, uh, the information for uh, the Alberta Opportunity Stream, the, o, the AOS as we're now going to call it, you'll notice that they specifically state that the intake and nomination guidelines may be put in place that would set the maximum number of applications accepted and nominations issued each year, as well as, and this is the most important part, guys, maximums for applications and nominations by sector and occupation. And then they say, stay tuned to the AINP News for more information. What does that mean? It means that they're going to still try to continue spreading these nominations out equally amongst industries. And one of the mechanisms they now have is to throttle certain occupations, certain industries 
who have already used up their quota. So instead of building up these long queues where processing times are a year or a year and a half, um, they are just basically going to turn off the tap so you can't even submit an application in that category. At least that's what I believe it's going to be. And uh, if you look at the current nomination certificate limits for 2018, as of June the 14th yesterday, they are authorized to issue 5,600 nominations for the 2018 calendar year. And obviously the, the limit is set by IRCC. But so far, as of June the 14th, they've issued 2,277 nomination certificates. Well, so how many does that leave? It leaves 3,323 spots left for 2018. And um, the AINP has actually said that right now they have 4,500 applications awaiting assessment for eligibility. So we know that there's going to be more applications submitted. And we know that there are still currently right now 1,377 more applications than nominating spots available for this year that are already in the queue. So clearly there's going to be more submitted. We know, I, you know we've got a number in our office that we're just getting ready to submit. In fact, one of the clients, unfortunately, um, is going to have to wait a little bit because now they're no longer eligible and they drug their feet getting their documents to us. And so now they're going to have to wait and hope that they can meet these new requirements. But um, we know a number of these are going to get refused. They're, they just won't be eligible. So, but, the, but the figures are pretty clear. There's going to be still a greater demand than there are space. So what do we do? Well, I guess you can ask the AINP, what are you guys going to do about it? How are you going to reduce the influx? Well, the, here's their solution, this new selection criteria. And so let's take a look at this AOS's new selection criteria and see exactly what it is. Now, I'm going to try not to go into too much detail because you can go to the website and you can read. But as I go through this, I just want to offer my own thoughts on this a little bit and, and potential impacts. And, uh, and so this is going to, in particular, um, affect many people who have clients possibly that are working in lower skill occupations in Alberta. Well, they may have new opportunities for them. But one of the major, major changes is with the post-grad work permit holders because there are lots of restrictions placed on them. And I will also point out before I even get there, I guess, that open work permit holders, such as spouses of foreign um, students or spouses of skilled workers in Alberta, it sure doesn't look like they're going to make the cut. So I can't tell with a 100% degree of certainty, but it sure looks like they are not eligible. So going forward, right off the bat, um, we can see that there are uh, new criteria, and this criteria is going to be evolving. So areas such as language, education, and income, which we'll be talking about a little bit later, these are going to be phased in over the next three years, which is really quite generous of the AINP because they've had a, a, a practice, I guess, if you will, of, uh, of just announcing things and even applying things retroactively. Well, this is a gentle introduction to the realities and the new futures of the AINP, um, but they're going to roll it out slowly. So they're, they're applying things like language requirements, which are, you know, right now they're, they're going to be based um, right currently at a CLB4. And then effective June 14th, 2019, it's going to bump up to uh, CLB5 and then remain there. But other areas like education, 
High school in the country of origin will be accepted as the minimum educational credential. But going forward, by the uh, essentially January the 1st, 2021, it's going to have to raise um, up to the level of an Alberta standard. So some countries do not have the same standard of high school as Alberta. And if a candidate doesn't have that by, by 2021, then they're not going to be eligible. And then one of the other big ones that is also going to come into play here is income levels. And right now, uh, they use the Alberta LIM, and I'll explain that level um, in the future here uh, a little bit later in this episode. But right now, they've set it at about 70% of the Alberta LIM. And then next year, or I should say that will be, um, that will come into place uh, and currently and going forward. And then effective January the 1st, 2020, it's going to be 75%. And then January the 1st, 2021, it will be 80%. So that is essentially how things are structured going forward. And uh, we'll see how this all plays out slow and steady. But let's dig into these new selection criteria in a little bit more detail. So right off the bat, residency status and work permit requirements. So at the time when your client or you apply, so when your your application is postmarked and at the time that the AINP actually assesses your application, you have to have a valid work permit. So implied status don't work, restoring your status won't work. And so that valid work permit has to be based on one of these essentially three categories. It's LMIA-based, or the International Mobility Program also works, but this is where I see international experience, IEC, those will work, NAFTAs, intercompany transfers, but spousal open work permits, I don't see them as being included. At least they're not on the list. Um, And then the third one is a postgraduate work permit holder who holds that postgraduate work permit. Well, they have to have that, and... They have to have graduated from an Alberta school, at least one that the Alberta Advanced Education approves, and it's on the list. And so this is another, a third one. If uh, the program that they've completed is one to two years, then there are specific lists um, for those programs that are acceptable and ones that are not. So essentially, your credential that they, they obtain Uh, the credential that they obtain has to be on the approved Alberta Advanced Education undergraduate credentials list. And fortunately, if you are attending university and you are in the process of studying and obtaining um, any of the the upper level courses, bachelor's, master's, those kinds of things, then then you're going to be okay with those educational credentials. Um, But it has to be not only... Uh, an educational credential that fits on the list, it has to be related to your occupation. So you've got a work permit that is um, a a postgrad work permit holder who has graduated from an Alberta institution and not only the Alberta institution, but that postgrad work permit holder has to be working their current occupation in a field related to their study. So no more can we have situations where we have, um, well, I don't even know. The question ultimately comes, I guess, is if you have a business administration degree, are you still going to be able to work as a food service supervisor? That's the question. And exactly what is a related field, um, that's to be determined. So it'll be interesting to see how all of this plays out. Now, one other thing I guess I'll add 
And you can see these levels. So I'm just going to reiterate that because it was a little bit confusing. So option one for your work permit, it has to be valid. Labor market impact assessment based, you're good to go. International mobility program, good to go. Basically, except open work permits. I don't see spousal open work permits or other um, work permits based. I don't see those on the list. Uh, I don't know about a, well, obviously there's going to be a bridging work permit because you're going to need the nomination to file your your APR and, and get that bridging work permit to start with. So um, so those two. And then postgraduate, postgraduate work permit holders have to have graduated from a school in Alberta, an approved one, if they and also meet the education requirements on the education credentials list, <clears throat> which limits one and two-year diplomas to certain approved courses. And if you've got a bachelor's, master's, or doctoral at one of the Alberta-approved institutions, uh, then that will also work. And your current occupation must be related to your field of study in Alberta. So that's basically how it works. And in the past, it wasn't like that. If you were a post-grad work permit holder, you had an employer who was supporting you, you're good to go, but not any longer. Now, your field that you're studying in actually has to relate to the job you're working in. So this is going to cause people in Alberta to think twice about the programs that they're entering into and the actual occupational outlook which makes sense from the standpoint of meeting labor needs in Alberta, because why would you want to have someone taking a program where there's no jobs when they get out and then end up working as a food service supervisor somewhere? So, well, I guess there's a demand for it maybe, but, but you know what I mean. All right, so that is the, uh, the, initial, uh, the initial criteria, which is the residency status, valid work permit, and, um, and the work permit requirements. Okay, let's jump to the occupational requirements because this is where the rubber hits the road. Only eligible occupations can qualify. They must be on the list. And the work in the occupation has to match the candidate's previous work experience. So we'll discuss that a little bit later, but only eligible occupations and the person's background has to match the occupation that they're actually working in. This will really start to limit but I'll show you that there are still there is still room. But the whole idea is for people to build on what they what they have um, the education, the work experience that they have before they came to Canada, and bring all of that forward to then, you know, basically enhance uh, the the actual occupation that they're doing here. They don't want them starting in lower levels and then taking away opportunities from Canadians generally. All right, as always with almost every one of these things, there is a a certain heightened requirement for postgraduate work permit holders. So like I said before, with these PGWP holders, their occupation must be related to their field of study in Alberta. So like I said, what does that mean? How closely does it have to relate? Well, we're just not sure. And then I'll also point out that if the postgraduate work permit holder had only completed one year, uh, a one-year certificate, then their occupation must also relate to the previous undergrad or graduate field of study outside Canada, which is super, super special. Like th this is very specific. It will really, really limit people who want to come study for one year in Alberta and then hope to go off and, and get a nomination from a province, from the province. The reality is if this person ha has only obtained a one-year program, because remember, one-year program relates to one-year postgrad work permit. The issue that they have is that, um, <coughs> excuse me, they want to see, okay, well, what else are you bringing with you when you come? And, uh, and so they actually look back to see that the education that they're taking 
is not just some fly-by-night one-year program, but it actually builds on what they had before. So what'll happen? You know, will a business admin diploma, like I said, work for a food service supervisor at Dairy Queen? Maybe. I guess you just have to make the pitch. All right. Um, okay, so let's see here. Um, it, well, one thing I do want to point out is, is the whole object here is they don't want people who would otherwise qualify through express entry to burn up the ANP nomination quota. And they've gone to some pretty extreme lengths to make it easier for people who might not qualify through express entry, but at the same time, make it more and more challenging for people. Well, I guess in all honesty, I don't know anyone who would go through the AINP at this stage, at least based on the processing times, if they had the ability to go through express entry. But I guess I'll backtrack and say the whole issue here is that they're trying to make sure that the people that are getting the nominations are the ones that are really going to help with the uh, with the, the labor shortages and the areas and industries where that are lacking with Canadians um, going forward. Okay, so one of the positives I hinted on at the beginning of this episode is that now most zero A, B, C, and D occupations will work, but there is an ineligible uh, and ineligible occupations list that you have to pay close attention to. And so this AOS list applies to everyone. So if your occupation is on that list, it is, uh, you, you can't get through the gate. You're not even going to be eligible to apply. So I'm going to grab the list one second. What's on the list? Here's a little sampling. You guys can go and you can take a look at yourself. But when you look at the list, it's got um, school principals. Oh, that's good. Uh, managers in, in social and correctional services. Fire chiefs. Hey, great. That's a, that's a great one. Uh, teachers are on the list at, at pretty much all levels. Um, no authors, musicians, actors, painters. Sorry, guys. You guys are all out. Um, and then uh, religious occupations also have taken quite a big hit. But they were always, I think, excluded in the past. And a lot of the same things have carried over. You know, for example, early childhood ECE, uh, early childhood educators, the ECEs, um, they need to have a certain level, level two or a level three um, through the child development supervisor uh, program. And so it's not just any early childhood educator uh, can, can get through, uh, but they do have uh, an ability to, um, to open it up a little bit more. All right. And then if you go through here, like I said, other religious occupations, they're shot down. Athletes, real estate agents, uh, casino occupations. Oh, that's too bad. And then your taxi drivers, trappers and hunters. Oh, no. What will the world, ca- what will the world come to? And for, for those here, at least in southern Alberta, harvesting laborers are, are off the list. So there's a number of different ones, but it's, it's not super, super lengthy. Um, it does leave a lot of room for... Um, season D's to qualify now, which is really cool. All right. So as we go through this, the AOS list is one. So here's the issue. Once again, post-grad work permit holders only, not only does their occupation um, have to be, uh, it can't be, I should say, on the on the general AOS list, but Alberta has this lovely um LMIA refusal to process list that it's on the ESDC website. And so for postgraduate work permit holders, they cannot 
have their occupation on that list as well. So you've got to assess against both lists. And if the occupation's on either, they're done. Okay, English or French. Now we're going to be able to whip through this a little bit quicker. Like I talked about before, English and French, initially, at least until June 14th, 2019, uh, CLB4 is going to be okay for all um, all of the uh, the um, the skills. So reading, writing, speaking, listening, CLB4 is all that needs, that's needed. But then it's going to increase to five in, in on June the 14th, 2019. And ironically, well, I shouldn't say ironically, interestingly, they have identified nurses, aides, and orderlies, which are basically your personal care attendants and things like that in Alberta, 3413, they have to demonstrate a CLB level seven, which is a lot higher. So obviously carrying in a healthcare facility where you have to be able to communicate in English, they've demanded a lot higher standard just because of the nature of the position. And um, the standard English, uh, the language testing that we see in express entries, they've also applied here. So it has to be a CELPIP, IELTS, or TEF if it's French, and valid for two years. That's the expiry. Uh, so they're good for two years. All right, next, education requirements. Like I hinted at at the beginning, minimum high school, but right now they're allowing that standard to be based on your home country. So until um, until next year, well, actually until January the 1st, I can't remember, 2021, I think is what it is. Yes, January the 1st, 2021, then it will become the Alberta high school equivalency. So they've given people a little bit of time to get through and and other people to recognize that these changes are coming and don't saddle your horse to, you know, a, a minimum high school in your country when you know it's going to be, if, it, if it's going to take you that long to get your nomination, uh, 2021 is when it's going to change the standard. And um, as, with, as far as education requirements, once again, postgraduate work permit holders, um, it has to still be an Alberta-based school and uh, their education has to be on the education list. Okay. Now we get to one of the more complicated aspects, and that's the work experience requirements. So I hinted at it before. So what is a qualifying work experience? Okay, so right off the bat, you must be working in an occupation that matches your work experience. So at the time your application is postmarked and at the time the AINP assesses your application, which is their standard statement here. But a qualifying work experience includes the following. So it has to be a minimum of 12 months full-time in your current occupation within the last 18 months. That's one that is acceptable. Or a minimum of 24 months full-time in your current occupation in Canada. And actually the first one was in Alberta. Sorry, this next one, minimum 24 months full-time current occupation in Canada or overseas within the last 30 months. So technically, if you break this down, you can, if it's if your prior work experience before you came to Canada was in the same field, then accumulating that 24 months, technically speaking, you could accumulate basically, well, I don't see any restriction to accumulating 24 full months, coming to Canada, getting uh, a job with a Canadian company and filing right away, if, you, if it's right in line with your overseas experience and you meet the other requirements. So it can be a combination, this 24 months can be a combination of experience in Alberta, i.e. maybe one month only, and uh, and the rest can be overseas. So, or it could be even outside of Alberta for that, for that matter. So Canada or abroad. And once again, if you're a postgraduate work permit holder, here's one little change. So for them, it's a minimum of six months. 
full-time in their current occupation in the last 18 months. So that's half of what a normal person would need. And the current occupation must relate to their field of study in Alberta, which we've talked about before. And then for work experience, in order for it to, to actually be considered full-time or work, it's 30 hours per week, which we're familiar with, with express entry, but understand part-time doesn't cut it. So you can't, if you're working in a part-time capacity, even if you're designated as part-time, but you've got a lot of extra hours to meet the 30, it won't work. You have to be employed in a full-time position. 30 hours per week is your guarantee. Not picking up casual shifts or working overtime, but still treating as part-time. It has to be in the same same occupation as your current occupation, um, uh, as your current experience, essentially. Um, you have to been in legal status. Obviously, you can't be out of status. And another restriction, which we often see with Express Entry as well, at least through the Canadian Experience class, is that your experience can't be gained while you were studying or doing a cooper or an internship. But there actually is an exception to that. If your co-op work placement or internship was part of your study and part of that program and you were paid for that work, you worked full-time, 30 hours at least per week, the work was directly related to your current occupation, then the work experience that was gained in Alberta, you can count towards that. And so pretty cool. So that's one little bone that they threw back. All right, now we've got a few other extra additional requirements that I'm going to whip through here. Licensing, registration, certification to work in the occupation, those are all mandatory now. And so it's interesting, points to, to consider is that the optional trades may now be eligible without trade certifi certification. So provided they're not on the ineligible list, it may be possible for some trades that otherwise we, we were forced to go out, even though they were an optional trade in Alberta, you were forced to go out <clears throat> and that person was required to get their, their trade certification. Um, I haven't looked at the list in detail, but I think a position like a cook, for instance, in Alberta, they wouldn't accept it. You'd have to go through and get your trade certification in order to actually be able to work in that occupation. But it makes sense because now they've added all these other prior work experience requirements. So if you never worked as a cook before you came here, that could be a limiting factor. And so they're able to kind of throttle or choke off the number of candidates that could apply by means of how they've classified the work experience requirement. Okay, um, I'm going to grab a drink here because I am dying of thirst. I'm going to be back in one second. <clears throat> All right. Okay, I got my mic ringing here. Okay, so now what is this? Um, a couple other things that I want to point out. The, it has to be a full-time job offer from an Alberta employer and you're working for that employer, which obviously makes sense. They're just kind of spelling it out here a little bit more. But the employer themselves must be incorporated or registered and operating in Alberta in an established 
with an established production capability, plant or place of business. And this is similar language to the way it was before. And the job offer must be signed by both parties. And it must be for continuous work, full-time, 30 hours. It has to be for at least 12 months or more, working in the current occupation and be on the eligible, be an eligible occupation that, that meets the, the work permit requirements. So you, you look at those, what were they again? LMIA based work permit, international mobility program, you know, the IECs, the, the intercompany transfers, those kinds of things and meet the requirements for the, the post-grad work permit holder, the field of study, the education matching, all those kinds of things. <clears throat> but there are some ineligible situations and here's what they are. Like we talked about, part-time, out. <clears throat> Independent contractors, out. Business owners, out. Temporary agencies, like, well, temp agency, obviously that, that, that wasn't going to work. Um, it was out before. But here's the thing that's really going to mess with us, especially those of us who wanted to bring people in as um, permanent owner-operator through, through, um, through PLMIAs or dual-purpose LMIAs to come work in Alberta. I'm hoping that express entry is still going to work for these people. But in Alberta, if you are listed as a director, shareholder, or agent of the Alberta employer on corporate on the corporate registry system course in Alberta, then you're ineligible. So even if you're, you've got a position, you've got an LMIA as an owner operator, if you are listed as a shareholder, it, it precludes you from going through the AINP. And they also kick out people who are working in home-based businesses or virtual employees who are working for an Alberta employer, but outside of Alberta. So you actually have to be living and working in Alberta. So that is the lowdown, guys, on this comprehensive work experience requirement. And most of you are probably thinking to yourself, oh my goodness, why am I sitting here listening to Mark regurgitate all of this crazy stuff? I could go on to the, uh, to the, um, the AINP website and read it, all, read it all up. Absolutely. I guess you could, guys. But these are just things that just have stood out to me. And I think for most of us who do practice in Alberta, this is really going to shift things for us. And I see some tremendous opportunities to um, for people who are working maybe in lower, uh, lower type um, occupations to maybe qualify. But dun, 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 dun. It's not as easy as you think for those low skill season Ds. And here's why. The final thing I'm going to share with you guys is the income level requirements. So not only do you have to meet all of these stringent work experience, education, all these other um, occupation requirements, language, but these people who are applying must be able to demonstrate minimum gross annual income levels that are based on the family unit size. So spouses, dependents, um, dependent children, um, under 22, uh, whether they're accompanying them or not. So even if they're here, if, if a single person is here, well, a married person or you know a common law partner is here and the family's back home, it doesn't matter. They have to meet the, the income thresholds for their, their entire family unit. So there's this Nice little income calculation worksheet that, boy, people have a lot of fun with that thing. Um, you have to go through and that helps you. One interesting thing is that you can include taxable benefits, which is not something that's usually included when we're calculating income. But tax, taxable benefits, everything from, you know, if you have an automobile allowance, um, board and lodging, 
any gifts, um, you know, any interest-free loans or low-interest loans, meals, uh, tool reimbursement, those kinds of things, transition, uh, um, transit passes, those can all be included as part of the income. So that's one positive. And there is the ability, if your spouse of the applicant is in Alberta, to potentially count their income, but there's some pretty narrow rules. So that, that spouse, if you want to join it, you know, join both of those incomes together, um, they have to have a yearly Alberta income before tax that is greater or equal to 42% of the principal applicant's yearly income before tax. And obviously, the person has to have a bona fide job offer from an Alberta employer for, in this case, part-time or full-time work in any occupation um, as long as they are, they're working you know, with authorization for that Alberta employer. <clears throat> All right. And so as I indicated before, 70% of that Alberta low income measure uh, level, that's what they have to meet right now. Um, by January the 1st, 2020, it increases to 75% and 2021 increases to 80. So just by way, before I conclude this, just to give you some ideas. So if you're a single person um, and there's only one member of your family unit, then your gross income has to be 21,833. And I, I remember looking up, <coughs> excuse me, I'm gonna get another drink here. I remember looking, okay, well, what is minimum? Like Alberta's minimum wage is climbing up to $15 here in, in the fall. And so what does that equate to? And I think it was right around twenty-seven dollars or $28,000 a year at minimum wage if you're working full-time. So obviously these figures are going to climb up because this is just a 70% of Alberta's LIM. But, um, you know, a family of four is substantially higher at 43,661. So those are the income incomes <clears throat> that you have to be demonstrated. And there's some formulas there to show how you can demonstrate it. Um, and, it, you know, you have to use your, gent, your pay stubs and, and uh, records of employment and things like that that actually demonstrate, uh, well, actually not a record of employment, but your, <clears throat> but your T4s, those tax documents are the ones that are going to be used to support and prove the income. There's some other, other ways that you can do that. But instead of having, you know, how much money in your bank account, which is express entry driven, right? Proof of funds is all based on demonstrating those funds are available to you and that they're in your bank account. And so lots of people will get gifted money from their parents they can't get that money gifted for the purposes of the Alberta Immigrant Nominee Program. They have to actually demonstrate that they have a job that's paying them that much. So, interesting world. I wanted to get this out and uh, just share it with all of you fine folks. Um, it was an absolute pleasure connecting with a lot of you individuals back in our last Canadian Bar, Association, Bar Association's National Immigration Section. It was great to catch up with all my old colleagues and friends. And I have, surprise, surprise, some people actually booked to come on and do interviews with me. So I'm really looking forward to that. And I want to uh, thank all of you guys for, for faithfully tuning in, um, although I have had quite a hiatus here. Um, but hey, sometimes that's what happens. Life takes over. I've got a couple kids that, uh, uh, I'm not sure if I talked about this in the last podcast, but uh, my daughter's serving a mission for a church in Indiana. Uh, in the U.S. and uh, so she's been out a couple months and that's kind of dominated my life. 
And then my son, who was going to Trinidad, well, he's actually was learning Dutch and headed to Suriname, which is, uh, those of you who know where that is, kind of north of Brazil, on the, um, the northeastern coast of South America. He was in the Missionary Training Center and tore his ACL. So he's back visiting us. He just had his surgery and he's waiting to recover and then send him off. And then Mark will have a whole lot more time on his hands um, to do more podcasts, to have some fun and, and just get more involved with everything that's going on in this crazy world uh, that we call immigration, Canadian immigration law, that is. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. Um, if you have a topic that you would you think would be great to cover or you yourself, or you, if you'd be interested in joining me, please, please reach out to me. Um, the best way is probably mholthe at stringham.ca. That's uh, M-H-O-L-T-H-E at S-T-R-I-N-G-A-M dot C-A. And just let me know. I'd love to have you join me. And I hope to be able to pump out a whole bunch more podcasts here by the end of the year. All right, guys, it was a pleasure. Hope you enjoyed this. And uh, it was a little bit detail-oriented, but for those who are uh, traveling and commuting um, and are sitting on the uh, transit or have been, uh, are basically driving and looking for a little bit of an update on what all these changes are, that's what you've just had. So we'll find out more what happens with Express Entry going forward. But thanks for tuning in, everybody. I wish you all the best as you navigate this crazy world of Canadian immigration law, policy, and practice. Oh, Canada, greatest country in the world. We want to share the richness of your soil. This place I Canadian Immigration Power.